today on the EWAR podcast, Federico Benji on why you need a data rule when raising funding. Hello and welcome to this episode of the EWAR podcast. My name is Dion Burma, and this is the space where founders and investors share the lessons they learned along their journey so that you don't have to learn them the hard way. Today's guest is Square One venture capital partner Federico Wenji. Federico has a background in finance and statistics. He worked at a few investment banks before joining Flankio as an entrepreneur in residence. In 2012, he joined the recently founded Square One. Since then, Square One has grown into a pan-European seed and pre-seed investor with a strong focus in B2B enterprise software. About 20% of the fund is reserved for deep tech investments. Federico mainly invests in open source software. Federico, it's great to have you today. Hey, good to be here, Lian. Thank you for, for having me. We're excited to have you. And I heard that you were one of the roughly 120 investors that joined the very first eWork Grand Pitch event. What did you think? I mean, it was great. Um, more specifically, I really liked that there were very early topics, companies that I didn't hear of before, um, had a good technical depth, uh, interesting founders. So, so yeah, generally speaking, uh, a lot to like. Uh, also considering it was the very first, so can only uh, get better from here. So very excited also about the second one. We're excited to see you again. You and I got connected slightly after the grant pitch um, and we got talking and you shared that a lot of the first time founders, not only in our pitch, but just in general that, that you encounter in your work uh, are not often very well prepared for what's happening after the pitch. And so we thought, let's just make a podcast on that so people can learn about it. Uh, so maybe where to start, like, let's just start at a founder just pitched to you. You like their pitch and you're interested to learn more. What happens next? Like, what do I need to know as a founder? That's a, that's a very good question. And uh, let me, before I answer this directly, let me make a general statement uh, or, or a general, you know, reminder. So that is processes uh, at uh, venture capital firms are different. So every firm uh, you speak to, they have a different process. So I guess this is the first important thing to know. There are certain common traits. I mean, we are all basically doing the same job, but there is no kind of accepted standard to, to what a process should look like. Therefore, take this into, into perspective and, 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 and yeah, don't forget about it. The, coming to your question, the generally speaking in our uh, process after the first page, then usually I'll ask a few basic documents um, like um, a budget, um, like the cap table, um, and um, maybe a competition uh, overview if there is not already one in, in the deck. And then with the, these uh, documents, with the deck and with the notes that I took into the first call, then I'll you know do a first assessment. And usually if it's something that I'm interested in, then I would jump on a second call. During that second call, I would mostly cr clarify doubts that I had rereading all the materials. And once I have that, then I can go to my team with uh, a recommendation. Usually if I take it to my team, it means I want to then go further. Uh, if it's something that I don't consider investment material, I don't present it to, to, to my partnerships, of course. And, uh, you know, 
that then let's say that uh, I think it's interesting. I present it to, to my team, and then I start feedback from the team. And the feedback can be, hey, I think it's interesting, but something is missing on the some information is missing on the market uh, uh, size. I'm not convinced on uh, the team composition. They don't have a CTO. Can you uh, can you find out more why? And then at that at this point. Um, I, I also decide then based on the feedback, uh, do I still want to take it, take it further or not? Should the answer be again yes, then I usually take another um, investment manager or partner or associate uh, and we form a team of two and then we take it uh, further from there. It means that based on the feedback of the team, we try to answer those questions and should the second person that works a little bit as a as a as a four I principle, also be excited about the deal. Then we'll go again to our team and say, "Hey, uh, we answered these questions. Uh, uh, we're both now the team of two is excited about the deal. Uh, let's take it to the next level." Um, and at this point, we usually start to engage our network of experts on the matter. Let's say that it's a deals in sales enablement. Then I would reach out to head of sales into our portfolio, uh, into our network and start to validate the, the the pain, the problem, and the solution. And in parallel, maybe we start uh, start you know hearing out in the market if someone knows the founders, what, what are they like, and so on and so forth. Should then uh, uh, this reference checks uh, turn, uh, turn out positive, then we go uh, to NIC, um, where basically we invite the team either to our office in person or via Zoom call to have a final, uh, you know, about one and a half to two hours um, meeting where they uh, meet the whole partnership. And after that, we can issue a term sheet. Um, of course, between the experts calls and the IC, there are other touch points with the team, but that is very much dependent on uh, what are the findings, uh, what are the things that our market experts and reference uh, tell us. Bit of a long answer, but I wanted to go into the different details. Um, hope it was helpful. Certainly. And it sounds like quite a process that at least in your venture capital firm is going on if you're interested in a deal. How long does it roughly take this mm -hmm. process that you just described? Yeah, I guess it depends on, on a few things. So uh, I'll tell you what it depends on and then uh, a, a range of uh, time. Um, so it depends. Is it a deal uh, that is very early? Uh, and it's a small check size. Let's say it's a pre-seed where there is only, you know, two founders and uh, a couple of Figma mockups in a territory or in a, in, a, in a vertical that we know very well. These are the shortest deal ever because we know the market, no need to, to get educated. There is not so much that you can look at. Uh, it's basically, you know, do you trust the founder and uh, is the market, uh, is there a good founder market fit. So these are the easiest to, to assess, or the quickest, actually not the easiest to, to assess. And then can be, you know, maybe three weeks, something like that. And then on the other hand, uh, it's a market that is, you know, not our typical home turf. Maybe it's very technical on top of not being a market that we know of. Uh, it's a, it's, maybe it's a large seat, maybe it's a 5 million seat where we do maybe 2.5 or 3 million. So yeah, in that case, you know, it can be maybe double that time, six week or eight even. Um, I guess that is the the range uh, that we deal with. Still quite some time after the initial pitch that uh, 
that you were engaging with the founders before the final decision, it sounds. And you you kind of started your first answer with uh, some documents that you were interested in, like the budget, the cap table, competition slide, if it wasn't available yet. And when we first talked, you mentioned uh, a data rule. Is is that where you feel those documents should live and, and why they're and not, for instance, just over email? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, the journal for me is, is a must have. And um, let me tell you a bit what I mean by data room. Um, so for me, a data room, you know, you can think about it uh, as kind of a warehouse with a showroom uh, also next to it, right? So most and foremost is a place where you store all your fundraising artifacts um, and then you have them ready to show. And then you know, using the same analogy as coming back to your question, why not via via email? Of course, it can be done via email. I mean, if you have a VC on the other hand, which is asking documents one by one via email, you can send them. And this is, you know, where you pick them from your warehouse and then you just ship them. Another alternative could be, hey, just enter my showroom. Everything is there. Uh, just, just you know, be, be, be my guest. Um, the important thing is to have everything ready to be shown immediately. That is why I think an editor room has to be clean and ready, you know, to to be, you know, like a showroom. But then, as I said, uh, if you want to ship them one by one, why not? And I, I guess having those uh, forms, those documents ready is also a way to speed up your process. Because if they then have to combine them and compile them still. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the, so when this is it, when um, let's say that I'm invested uh, as a pre-seed investor or a seed and we go for, for an next round as a seed or a series A. Before we, we do the very first reach out, then I, together with the partner, look that we have uh, the data room ready. And, and, and that is, you know, to speed up the process, but also not to send uh, some yellow flags to the investor that, you know, that you're kind of, you're not prepared and you're just, you know, doing things all, on the go without any, you know, strategy or preparation. For this episode, I knew we were going to talk about data rooms and I did some preparation, some research, and I could find some passionate arguments online of people saying that the data room is basically where your deal goes to die. They're saying asking for a data room, like an investor asking for a data room is the same as you asking for a brochure at the car dealer. You already know you don't want the car, but you want to be polite. How would you, what is, it sounds like you really want the data room and really use it. How would you respond to this? Yeah. First of all, I, I I I didn't hear it before, but I think it's a good it's a good joke. There's like the brochure of the car dealer. What I can tell you is that pretty much every deal that we ever done had a room, a data room at some point in the process. Let me come back to what I said before. If you remember the the warehouse and the showroom, uh, also remember that no process is the same. My response to that would be um, that the data room is not like a, a, a brochure, a place where the, the deal is going to die. It's just your preparation field where you have your, uh, your, own, your, own, your own data and your, or your own artifacts for fundraising. And yeah, it might be that some investor will ask for politeness and then just come in, look at the data and, uh, and never answers. So be it. You do this data room because you want to come across as very well prepared. You want to have all your items uh, ready to be shown. And and this is why you do it. It's not that uh, the data room per se enhances 
the the fundraising skills it's just you know a place to have things in order to be prepared uh to be to be efficient then in the in fundraising to then uh, give some credit to this sentence so what what i see sometimes uh is that investors kind of over ask uh data and uh, and studies and so that happens typically when you can't get enough traction in your team uh, with a with specific deal and then you try to you might try to then you know convince your teams with more and more data but you know that is something that usually don't happen um, so if if after several weeks you know the investor keeps on asking data after data and never really makes a move then you know maybe the deal is going to to die yeah, I like that. Just saying it, it's also a way for you to prepare and to, ha to have an answer to all the questions that VCs might have. It's not, yeah, it's not just a brochure to send people away. And you don't need to then invite them to the literal, right? That was a, what, what I was saying before. You can use it as a warehouse and ship things at home. No need to the for the investor to come in, in the literal if they don't want it. Um, but also the one coming in, they don't also do damage. Therefore, I see no... I, I don't agree with that statement. Clear. Um, you already mentioned a couple of the documents that you typically would like to see, uh, a budget, a cap table, a competition slide. Is there anything else uh, founders should have prepared when they start pitching? No, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, this is something that, you know, being 10 years into this business, I have seen, you know, many, many, many zeta rooms and I have now a clear idea of what there should be. So I think there are a few must-haves and a couple of, I would call them very good to have. So the must-have is obviously the pitch deck, um, at best with some extended version. So where you have all the backup slides that usually don't show into the first uh, meeting. And a budget, as we discussed before, uh, I would say 24 months where you don't focus so much on revenue prediction, but rather on uh, the cost and the runway. Uh, this is obviously under the assumption that this is a data room for a pre-seed or a seed company. The growth, growth uh, stage data room look different and we're not going to talk about them now. Um, then I usually, you know, for me a must-have is a design partner's uh, details. So maybe some interviews that you conducted with them, what is their feedback? Alternatively, if the product uh, is already out, um, a sheet with some traction data, usage data that, you know, kind of give us a bit of uh, insights in who is using the product, who is paying. Then a pipeline, uh, you know, very basic, uh, divided by stage, likelihood of closing and ACV. Something on the market size, um, maybe the calculation bottom up with some uh, uh, studies about, about the market size. And then a competition analysis. So these are things are must have. Also, some very good to have, um, you know, I'll call them, you know, HR artifacts. So, for example, an org chart, an in-depth uh, uh, detail of the founders, maybe some definition or, or insights on the company values, what kind of work and culture policies you want to, to build. Do you have blueprints of companies that you admire for, for their culture? Um, do you have thoughts and diversities and some rules that you want to 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 set um hiring process and the caliber of your pipeline so maybe show me uh, what kind of uh, pipeline in hr you have built 
those are all indications on the kind of organization that you want to build product roadmap um, and also uh, on the approach of the comment to product management um, would be very interesting on the go-to-market strategy description of the sales motion and the demand generation strategy yeah the, those are i would say um, all the documents that i would love to see in editor room also i would love to then say one more thing especially at pre-seed when there's basically no product no revenue so everything is most in the head of the founders. It kind of helps to have some materials to look at. Um, it kind of makes it more tangible. And, uh, you know, I think it gives a bit of confidence. Of course, as I was mentioning before, uh, it's a young company, so you can't expect to have cohort data, um, churn analysis, uh, and so on and so forth. It might seem a lot, what I just said, but the documents per se are not, you know, very big as there is little that you can dig in, but I think it helps to have, uh, to have them jot down. It's a nice, a nice list. And I wanted to follow up. You mentioned a sales pipeline that sounds like a B2B thing, or is that also something that's relevant in a B2C environment? Well, sorry. I mean, um, I should have said it, uh, uh, at the beginning. So this is obviously for a B2B, uh, company. I know little to nothing about B2C. So. You know, yeah. if you're a founder, don't listen to me. <laughs> I think that's a good disclaimer, but still, I think a lot of these things also count for B2C uh, customers. Absolutely. I just say that I, I you know, I'm 10 years of B2B uh, investing, so that's what I know. So I don't comment on the other yeah. side. One. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and so what I was interested in, like, once a founder has uploaded all these documents, you've reviewed them. What are common mistakes you see in these documents that stop you from uh, investing? For instance, if we think about the cap table, what are things you can see on the cap table that you're like, no, this is not a deal that we want to be part of? So a mistake in the document, uh, so the way you phrase it, I understand, did I make a mistake in compiling this document? But then how the cap table look like, it's not like, it is what it is. So it's not that... You put together the the document uh, in a wrong way, so it's like um, it's structural uh, thing. So, so, so generally, you know, the data room, uh, generally speaking, the the common mistake that I see is not having one ready, and not having a good, thoughtful uh, data room where you can see that people have really taken their time, and and you know, thought about the details, uh, and you see the preparation that went through it, and Hopefully the preparation that also went into, you know, uh, setting up the company and, you know, thinking about the right product. And, you know, the, the worst thing that I can hear is, yes, of course, let me, I don't have it, but let me, let me put it together in a few days and come back to you. And then comes something that you've seen has been done in a rush and, you know, just doesn't um, leave a good impression. Of course, there are some ad hoc uh, requests that you will get that are, you know, not exactly what you have built. And for that is fine, but for basic things, then you should have everything ready and be sent uh, in a, in a day or so. Um, on your on your on your question uh, again, on the cap table. Well, obviously, you know, a uh, cap table that is not uh, that doesn't leave enough room to the founders is a problem. Angels with uh, or VCs with uh, an exaggerated amount of shares is a problem. Uh, strategic and corporate investors with large uh, uh, stakes is a problem. 
um, too little is a, is a problem. So yeah, ideally on a pre-seed, uh, you want to have hundred uh, percent in the hands of the, of the team, uh, and, uh, a 10 to 15% is up, uh, three round, and then we're good to go in a seed. Uh, maybe you won't have, uh, you will have something like 20% in the hands of the investors. Uh, then, you know, the, the 10, 10 ish percent uh, is up and then the rest in the hands of the team. But there's, you know, as I said, it's not, not about the data room. It's just a structural, you know, company, um, feature. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good clarification. And and that's actually what I meant, like a mistake in the data room. Yeah, that's not a big deal, I guess, if they can rectify it. But like, what are things you see in these documents that stop you from investing? Like, and you mentioned a few for the, for the cap table. Um, any other things that, well, for instance, in compiling their budget, what do founders need to think about to not scare away investors? I am not sure that the, one should compile a data room with the think of what does investor want to see. And so for me, it's super important, the authenticity of the team. So as I said, um, once I have, um, once you know that you should have a budget for, for 24 months, then months, then I want to know what you are thinking of. And when I tell you, then please show me customer interviews, you shouldn't uh, kind of prepare the customer interviews to make them like to a VC. So I think, you know, you should do the business the way you think you should do. Um, and then having good preparation to give the transparency, um, for an investor to look through the business in a very short amount of time and without pain. Um, so yeah, don't twist your uh, your company building to be liked by the C by VCs. Um, that makes sense. But, um, yes. something else that, uh, would scare me away when, um, when, uh, when looking at, uh, a deal is usually reference on the founders. So if I start founder work before, uh, another scale up and then, you know, I call the founder and said, mm, yeah, no, that wasn't a good teammate, someone that I would want to, to hire again. That is, you know, something uh, that makes me think twice about uh, doing a deal, and um, or you know, um, or maybe they they had a, they were C level in another startup, they were in the board. Then you listen to the investor that he he or she worked before, and uh, also again, a better reference doesn't help. Uh, but I guess this is true for everything. When you look for a job, when you look for 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 an investment, and a reference on the personas very important. Yeah, indeed. That's actually, maybe we can talk about that a little bit more. Um, so you, you, we already talked about this process, right? Between three to maybe eight weeks. Um, and that entire process is set to, for you to make as good of an investment decision as possible. Um, weird cap tables might be a reason not to invest. Weird references might be reasons not to invest. What are other things that make you lose interest in a deal? What I was uh, referring before, topic of the um, founder market fit is especially at the pre-seed, which is the, I think is also the, the stage where Ivor is mostly uh, active at and where we are also very active at. The founder market is something that we spend a lot of time to assess or to try to understand. And so that is, for me, is has to, to be there. Um, what do I mean by founder market? Why is this person in a unique position 
to build this company in this industry. I would expect someone to have particular insights on uh, on on an industry that they want to to change. Maybe they worked uh, before in a similar industry. Maybe they have some personal background um, related to the to the industry, and maybe they had done a particular project. So this is something that I that I that I really look for. I'm a bit weary of uh, um, founders that jump on the latest trend without having, uh, you know, not so much experience or or a reason of being in that uh, in that uh, in that industry. You know, for me, the worst that can happen is a founder that uh, you know two years ago was a Web three uh, founder, and now it's turning into AI. So you know. The authenticity and uh, and being um, you know part of the industry, understanding it, um, that is something that for me uh, it's very very important. What makes me very excited about the deal? Because your question was what uh, what scary away. So I wanted also to tell you what makes me excited. And so this is one well, definitely one thing that gets me excited. And the lack of the rock is something that uh, worries me. Yeah, I like that. I think that's that's very important. Also, something we try to spend quite some time on at EWAR uh, with our fellows to make sure that are you the right person to solve this problem? It might be a huge problem, but why can you solve it and not someone else? I think that's a Absolutely. very big question. And uh, um, another thing that uh, we spend uh, that we spend some time on is understanding the market size. We love to invest in companies where you don't need to think about market size that much because it's almost obvious, but generally speaking, we need to then be confident that the market is big enough to allow a hundred million AR company without too much fantasy. Um, so, so yeah, that is small markets is also something that, yeah, it's just not a fit to, to our business. I mean, to, to, to a VC kind of, uh, um, KNR. Federico, we talked about data rooms and what needs to be in them now, but, uh, what are kind of tools that you recommend people use to make such a data room? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And um, again, remember my point of view, um, you know, VC early stage software product. So for me, there are definitely tools of choice that I recommend using it. Um, I think that the majority of great teams uh, look at two tools. Uh, one is Notion, one is Docsend. Um, Notion, it's you know the place to be for many VCs and for many uh, tech startups. So it makes sense that everybody's used to that beautiful interface. Uh, Docsend is a valid alternative. Uh, it's not as you know good looking as Notion, but it helps to maintain more control on the documents. You get more analytics when uh, and the who viewed the viewed what so they can be interesting to, to retrieve some analytics also what i have uh, usually seen that i like are loom videos uh, you could do and should use them wisely for example recordings of uh, uh, you know product roadmap or or product demos um, you might uh, um, also have some explanations on the larger file maybe you have market size uh, model that is a bit lengthy you can do a voiceover to explain it something that i really like um also you know no loom videos but generally recordings on some uh, customer calls that is also very very helpful uh, to get a feeling uh, um, out of it 
and um, yeah, and then the rest you can uh, just use text or or spreadsheets. Something uh, really nice that I have seen uh, only done one or two times is to use um, some copilot features, uh, some GDI features to look at uh, documents in the cap table. Um, I've actually seen it uh, only twice. That was really nice. Great. Those are some really helpful tips. I think a lot of people use Notion by now, so uh, that should not come as a surprise. Well, nothing shocking, but you know. Yeah. So I just did a podcast before we jumped on this podcast call with someone who works, well, who founded a deep, deep tech company and they're basically building their own market. How do you think about market size in that sense? Because there is not really an established market yet, but do you like calculate what the market could look like in a few years? Yeah, this is a very, very interesting question. I think in that sense, you need to start with the technology first. So is the technology really um, an order of minded to the better of what there is out there? Um, and um, and uh, so that is, that is point number one. Point number two is to look at the so-called pioneers. Uh, is there, um, depending a bit on, on, on what is a product, but let me generalize. Um, so is there an initial group of pioneers that are raving fan of uh, a certain technology or product and they're willing to use it even if it's very rough uh, uh, and even if uh, you know they need to then overcome a few problems to 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 then use this technology. I think these are two two excellent points to to start with, um, and then you can start of uh, building a model of what the market could could look like. But you know, it's very I'm always very skeptical of you know Excel models where you take some variables then some numbers come out of it. Um, so I'd rather kind of focus on, is this te technology really enabling something new? Um, is there someone that, you know, has tried this technology? And even if it's very, at, the, at its infancy, has still very problems, uh, have many problems, but still they are a fan of it. Um, so I would start with those two things. Um, an example of that could be back in the days, um, you know, in 10, 12 years ago, uh, cryptocurrencies, right? Um, so it was, if you want to, if you wanted to to transact a Bitcoin 10 years ago, uh, it was a nightmare. So you you had to, you had to then have maybe physical wallet. Uh, uh, you know, you need to go through many 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 steps. But still, people would do it, and they were actually raving about it. And um, there was a technology that didn't existed before. Um, so it was a technology that was very new. Yeah, they had a, a nucleus of, of raving heads that were pioneering it. It, um, it then turned out in, uh, in a large market. Same can be said about, um, about several other uh, things, but that was, I think, I think it's a, it's a good example that can, you know, can exemplify what I, what I mentioned more important than then, and then you can start thinking, okay. If this can replace uh, X percent of uh, the gold reserves in the world, in the case of Bitcoin, or X percent of um, transactions in case of other uh, payment transaction in case of other occurrences, then can be this big. Uh, but without the first two steps, you know, just calculating with some variables, I don't think it's very useful. 
Yeah, that makes sense. You do need some feeling for those numbers. Like, what do they mean? What is it? Is it realistic? I guess that brings us actually to the end of this podcast already. Um, and I always wanted to end the podcast by asking if there's anything our listeners or our EWAR fellows need to take away from this, what, what would your advice be? I think preparation is the key. Um, like pretty much everything else in your career or even your life, maybe. Um, if you prepare well enough, then there is not so much you have to worry about. Uh, let's come back to our topic on the data road um, and on fundraising per se. Uh, just be prepared. Uh, it's your company. Um, just, you know, that will help you a lot in the, in the process. Great. Well, with that, I wanted to thank you for appearing on our podcast, uh, Federico. Thank you for having me, Leon. Anytime. It was great. And we might invite you again, because I think there's a lot of other topics that we can use for insights on. Would love to. This was Leon Borma interviewing Federico Benji for the eWord podcast. Thank you for listening.